Hey everyone, Eric Grenier here, and welcome to the 33rd episode of the RIT Podcast. The upcoming Ontario election is now less than 90 days away, so you know that parties at Queen's Park are already in election mode, even if the legislature is still sitting and the RITs won't officially be dropped for another two months or so. At stake, of course, will be the re-election of Doug Ford's progressive conservative government on June 2nd. So back to break down all the latest developments in Ontario politics is Sabrina Nanji. Sabrina writes at Queen's Park Observer, and you can check out her site at qpobserver.com. Hey, Sabrina, good to see you again. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Always a fun time. Yeah, well, it's going to get more and more fun as we get closer to election date. Um, And that's one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about is that we've been seeing a lot more electioneering, let's just call it that. If you've been watching TV and you're someone who does once in a while see a TV commercial, which, you know, maybe most people don't anymore, but I don't know, you might have seen an ad if you live in Ontario, just kind of touting how great things are in Ontario, that everything's going really well and, uh, you know, you should be happy about it. There's not a lot of a message there. There's not like a program inviting, you know, inviting you to check out a program or anything like that. It's just inviting you to be happy to be in Ontario. Uh, And there's been a bit of criticism, a bit of blowback about that. Yeah, I mean, Ontario is the best place in the world ever in the whole universe. That's kind of the message of the the government ads we're we're seeing right now. And as as you mentioned, it's interesting timing because we're just uh, a couple of months out from the campaign. You know, the campaign officially starts in the beginning of May, but it feels like we've been in campaign mode for a very long time. And obviously, when it comes to government advertising, political party advertising, there's a lot of rules around that. Um, But we are seeing more ads from the conservative government right now that are very positive and bubbly and, uh, you know, making things sound all peachy in Ontario. And uh, I guess maybe you want to vote for these guys to to, uh, keep them around for a bit longer. But, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about government, the difference between government advertising and political advertising is that obviously government advertising, the idea is that it's not supposed to be partisan. But these ads, um, you know, about how uh, Ontario is getting stronger, you know, we're making a comeback from the pandemic. Uh, they're like blasted on, on all the airwaves now. I, I the, the PCs had them running during the Super Bowl, you know, the most tuned into event like ever, basically. Uh, and and so a lot of eyes on this um, and they're, they're not cheap. The, the thing is, is that we don't know right now how much uh, the government's spending on these ads. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only reporter that has filed some FOIs for this uh, to get the numbers on it. But, um, you know, it's interesting because the Auditor General in Ontario, you know, this independent officer of the legislature used to have oversight of government ads. uh, And the previous government, the the Wynn Liberal government, took that away. And so Auditor General Bonnie Lysak basically said at the time, this would amount to like a rubber stamp that uh, she used to be able to approve where government ads were overtly partisan and other little things. Like if you see a government ad, they need to disclose that it's paid for by the government, that type of thing. So those, those rules are still in place, but uh, there's been occasions where the auditor general has said in her annual reports that, you know, whether it be a liberal ad or even more recently a conservative ad, that if she still had those oversight powers, she would have you know, um, mix them uh, in the green room, essentially, she would have said, you know, these are overtly partisan, not cool. And I think everyone, especially the opposition parties are paying attention to this uh, come election time. So the I think it was green leader Mike Schreiner, who actually had the most um, stark criticism about this. 
say, you know, he basically said that the government, uh, the Ford government is using um, government advertising in a partisan way. This is obviously paid for by by taxpayers. And so the Ford government isn't willing to readily disclose how much they're paying, they're spending on this. But um you know, that can kind of come out. It might just take some time for either the Auditor General or us reporters to dig into those numbers. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see the impact of this. I mean, there's been a lot more uh, advertising on the social media side. It's a little cheaper to run ads on social media from the political parties. The liberals have been going very hard on that um, during pandemic times. A lot of people are tuned into like our virtual screens. We're watching more TV. We're online more. So I think, you know, it'll, it remains to be seen how effective these ads are, but uh, there are a lot of rules around the partisan side of advertising. So to run the government ads, it's kind of a bit of a sneak around, if I can put it that way. Obviously, you know, that's just my view. The government is saying, you know, the Ontario is doing better. And so it's just their job as government to let people know that. Um, but don't forget, you know, that the Liberals kind of did this as well. They removed the Auditor General's oversight and then spent millions of dollars on a huge ad campaign just before the 2018 election. So for me, it feels like a bit par for the course. Um, and I think it's it's going to be on voters to kind of, you know, parse all this stuff they're getting, all this, uh, you know, positive or negative uh, feedback. Um, and I think we had kind of talked previously, Eric, about before, like, so there are rules with um, election advertising. There are like timelines and how much money you can spend for the political parties. And so just before kind of all these rules came in, we were seeing some early ad ads from the uh, NDP and the Conservatives uh, attacking each other and also attacking the Liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, that gave them an opportunity to kind of uh, define Del Duca. We didn't see much from the Liberals uh, at the time. And so you know, Del Duca's got a lot of political baggage. The NDP and the PCs were were bringing that up uh, in their ads, along with images of Del Duca looking awkward in a Zoom call, you know, just waiting for a Zoom call to start. Like and what we, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still there too. I mean, it's very relatable in a way, but when your political opponents are the ones, you know, uh, listing your uh, political baggage, things like, you know, putting go stations uh, in your riding when experts are saying they're not supposed to go there, you know, trying to override local rules to get a, a backyard pool. And then you're looking awkward in a Zoom call. Basically, it was pretty effective. I mean, the the party's internal polling and also public polling kind of show that the negative numbers for Del Duca went up, that, you know, his disapproval went up right after those ads. So I'm, I'm really interested to see the polls, you know, uh, around all of this. But I think that generally speaking, the public is kind of a bit more forgiving to the Ford government right now in, in pandemic times. Most people I'm talking to are like, well, you know, the Ford government did the best they could. Uh, they're willing to give them another chance. So I think it'll be interesting to see how effective these ads are. Um, I think a lot of people probably already have their minds made up right now. Um, but it's going to be a barrage of of more ads to come. Government, partisan, you name it. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, every government uh, takes advantage of being in government when they can, especially ahead of an election. We see this from the federal government. We see this in lots of different provinces. Um, so it's nothing new, but it's just, we have seen it. And I, I've been, I've just noticed how much I've seen these ads. I've seen them also in French. So they're putting them in both English and French. And I do know, one of the things, just a tiny little thing that I find interesting is that 
they mentioned the North. They mentioned that there is investments in the North or something to do with the North in these ads. They don't mention any other part of the provinces as far as I can remember. Uh, so it suggests to me that the PCs must see something there, that they must have a reason to talk about Northern Ontario um, because they think that maybe there's some ridings there they have to protect or something that they can win. Because, you know, if there's someone living in Toronto hearing that they're investing in the North, uh, probably not going to make a lot of difference in your vote. Yeah. And no, you're right. Like this, uh, this is going to be played out. This election is going to play out. Like there's 124 seats. It's going to be a regional battles is what it's going to come down to. And the North is typically NDP territory, but there's a lot of incumbents uh, that aren't running again for the NDP. The same goes for the, the conservatives too. Uh, but that's one area where the conservatives, they've had their candidates nominated for a while now. You know, those people have been hitting the pavement over the last like months, you know, knocking on doors, getting to know getting to know people there. And so this is typically NDP territory, but uh, we all know incumbents have a bit of a leg up just naturally, you know, you've, you've got, you get to run on your record, there's name recognition, that type of stuff. And so it, it, there's, there's a gap to fill there. And obviously the PCs believe they can pick up there too. Um, and, you know, if you're watching these ads in Toronto, uh, Toronto, typically, I think what we'll see is what we've kind of seen historically, it's going to uh, the battle is going to be between the Liberals and the NDP there in Toronto. Um, maybe when you get to the 905, it becomes a bit more competitive. But I think the North is certainly uh, something that the, the Conservatives are setting their sights on. So it's not surprising that you're seeing them pump up uh, the announcements that they've been making there. So the election is going to start. Uh, I don't know if you know the date offhand, but it's it's the first week of May, at the very least, that the Ritz will drop. May 4th. May 4th. Yeah. There you go. And um, Campaigns the- yeah. officially yes and well yes officially let's just say that the, <laughs> but um the the conservatives recently announced that they're going to be moving back the budget date further on it was originally going to be at the end of march now it's going to be at the end of april so literally just a couple of days before uh parliament would lift and the election officially kicks off uh what's 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 the story behind that yeah, this one uh, kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, so, so bear with me. But basically, a couple of years ago, the Ford government brought in this self-imposed deadline. So they, they changed the law so that uh, Ontario governments uh, for the future need to table the budget, publicly release it by March 31st. Now, that that kind of makes sense. It's That's when the fiscal year for Ontario ends. Um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, municipalities, agencies that the government provides funding for, they're working on their budgets at the same time. So uh, they called it the premier's guarantee that basically if they don't table the budget by the fiscal year end, uh, the premier and his finance minister have to pay a fine. And that worked out to about 10,000 bucks for the premier, $5,000 for the finance minister. They pay it back to the government. Uh, you know, the, the premier is all about small business. I think it was like a very uh, business uh, minded guarantee. Um, and, and they've already, you know, gotten dinged for it in the past. Uh, when, when the pandemic first hit, the Ford government and then finance minister Rod Phillips, we know is no longer here at Queens Park. That's a whole other story. Uh, but you know, they there was all this pandemic uncertainty. And so COVID kind of provided, uh, and I don't want to say an excuse, um, 
but it was, there was a lot of uncertainty. It was really hard to predict. And um, so they kind of said that they needed some more time and the premier and the finance minister took the financial hit. They paid the fines. Um, uh, no, no big deal, I guess, you know, uh, on, on the, the policy side of things. But now they've decided to change that. And so they will not be fined uh, if the budget comes later. And so my sources are saying that it's coming April 28th and the Ford government basically moved to do that. So essentially they've changed the legal deadline for the budget. They pushed it back by a month only for this year to April 30th. And of course, as you said, that's just a couple of days before the campaign starts. Um, we're expecting a lot of uh, vote grabbing goodies in this budget. Things like, um, you know, a, a tax cut for middle income earners, something that the PCs promised in 2018 that hasn't yet come to fruition. Uh, we've already seen some so-called populist uh, playbook uh, plays here, you know, uh, a re- uh, sorry, a refund on the license plate renewal stickers, which will give most drivers 120 bucks back. Uh, if you're if you're living in Southern Ontario, I think it's around 60 dollars in the north. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of goodies in this budget and the benefit for the the political benefit to pushing this date back to April 30th is that of course this is going to be fresh in people's minds. It's essentially going to be a platform um, oriented budget and then essentially the house just will rise shortly after that the budget will pass because the PCs have a majority. It's a lot closer of a majority now that they've lost a few of their incumbents even more than they they've had over since 2018. Um, but the the opposition parties have been crying foul over this. They're saying, you know, this is an election gimmick. It's a ploy to get votes. Uh, but for me, it kind of feels like par for the course. Like this, this isn't something that we haven't seen from previous governments uh, in the past. Uh, the, the liberal leader Stephen Del Duca was saying, you know, Doug Ford's trying to trying to get out of paying a fine. He's going to bring in a late budget. Um, but he's really only changing it for this year. So of course, it seems like there's some political um, agenda behind all of this. The government will tell you that's not the case, that they they uh, they are now pivoting towards recovery and, and they need more time to just, you know, get the lay of the land, fiscally speaking. Um, but this will certainly give them an opportunity to uh, play up all those election goodies that we're going to see in the budget uh, while, while they're on the campaign trail. Yeah. And I guess it just goes back to what we just said before. Governments will tend to use every advantage they have And when you have a fixed election date, uh, that advantage that governments used to have when they could kind of time things to just be really advantageous to them, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. So you still got to use what you can get. Uh, So let's move on just to the opposition, because I I wanted to mark, um, talk about one of the things that I noticed that on Monday, uh, Andrew Horvath will have a 13 year anniversary as leader of the New Democrats, which is a really long time. There actually isn't another federal or provincial party leader in the country that has led their party for that long. Uh, She's had three elections now. She hasn't won any of them, though the last one, you know, they rose back to official opposition status, which is obviously, uh, you know, a big thing for the NDP. But after 13 years, is this election more or less make or break for her? If she doesn't win in her fourth election, um, would she even want to stick around? And would the party want her to stick around? Is is this kind of it for her? Winner, winner, go home. I mean, what you're saying, like, that's certainly the speculation around Queen's Park and the buzz. Like, we've already been hearing about uh, who could replace Horvath, you know, if if things don't go so well for her. Uh, And I think it's going to come down to how the Liberals 
perform too. Like, uh, especially in the GTA, uh, the 905 Toronto proper, like the battles are between the NDP and the Liberals for a lot of those ridings. And so if there's a situation where, you know, Horvath loses official opposition status and, and the Liberals come in or they lose a lot of seats and the Liberals pick up, I think that her leadership is certainly going to be questioned. But uh, from the grassroots, I mean, Andrea just had a leadership review. She um, she got over 90 percent. She always like does so well uh, with, within her own party and everybody seems to like her, even as you'll know, like when it comes to the public polling, um, you know, popularity wise, personally speaking, Andrea always performs very well, but she has just somehow not been able to turn that out, obviously, with the exception of 2018. Um, uh, in in the general election, like obviously 2018 was a change election. Um, it was about sending the Liberals a message. And so I think there were a lot of writings, especially like in, in my writing, you know, Toronto St. Paul's uh, has been liberal for so long. Um, Jill Andrew, the NDP MPP, I think people really like her uh, from what I'm hearing from my, my neighbors and folks around here. But uh, that was one of the surprising ones, too. And so I think that uh, for for Andrea, she might she might want to bow out herself to you. I mean, from from my view, uh, personally, it seems like she is getting a bit tired. Uh, you know, her she's not as sharp um, or as quick. And with someone like like Stephen Del Duca, you know, he's new to the role. He's got this kind of uh, different fire that you get when you're when you're new to that position. And there's already all this uh, buzz about who could replace Andrea Mart Styles from Davenport. Uh, Sarah Singh from from Brampton. Uh, these are all rookie MPPs, but folks who have, uh, you know, really proved themselves. I think, uh, and, and they they perform well. You know, I'm always interested to see who's working on their French. That's how you know someone might be might be running for a leader. And and I have to say, Andrea's French, even she'll admit, you know, it's not the greatest. And you mentioned she's been leader for like over a decade, so. Uh, I think she certainly had time to work on that, but I think that a lot, you wouldn't be wrong in assuming that this might be her last campaign. Of course, if she forms government, she'll stick around. Like yeah. there's no doubt about that if she becomes premier. Yeah, that's usually how it works. <laughs> so <laughs> that that would be the way that she would do that. So I, I wanted to move on to something uh, not at the provincial level, but related to what's going on in Queen's Park, because we have the conservative leadership races now happening. We just had the rules actually come out recently. And interestingly, the membership cutoff date will be June 3rd, just after the elections in Ontario, which could have some impact on terms of volunteers and organization in Ontario. Uh, but there has been talk about two candidates um, who uh, you know well. Uh, so Roman Weber is one of them who has suggested that he might be running. He's currently sitting as an independent uh, I don't think he would be a major candidate, but what I wanted to talk about in particular was Patrick Brown. So he used to be the Ontario PC leader, um, and you can talk a little bit about how that went for him, uh, but he's now the mayor of Brampton, and he seems to be interested. I saw today a report that uh, once the rules of the leadership came out, one of his people said that uh, you know they like the rules. So we'll see if he actually does run, but how is he seen in the party? Because his ouster was pretty dramatic. Yeah, no, I think Patrick Brown is a very compelling candidate. Uh, but from and, and from what I'm hearing is that he doesn't know, like my sources, you know, close close to Patrick Brown, they're saying that um, he's not sure what he's going to do. So but but uh, like when it comes down to it, it's, it's a very high stakes bid for Patrick Brown. Like he's doing well at the mayoral level. Uh, he, 
He's been getting, you know, a lot of uh, coverage. He's been making these bold um, calls, especially during the pandemic, you know, uh, that we've kind of seen the province like react to, maybe not directly, but he'll, you know, say, uh, you know, we should lift masks in schools uh, along with the rest of the province. And then you hear the top doctor kind of saying that. So I think for him to uh, jump into the federal arena would be a big risk for him. I don't know if he'll end up doing it, but you're right. It's a very interesting time. I mean, like there are a lot of conservatives in Ontario. So uh, a, a later, you know, September leadership date, I think it's September 10th, if I'm if I'm re- if I'm recalling correctly, that, you know, that that's a, at least enough time from the provincial election, because obviously a lot of con- there are a lot of conservatives in Ontario and a lot of those conservatives will be busy on the provincial side of things. Um, and, and this, I think, would still give Brown some some room because the municipal elections in Ontario are in October. So if you're not doing so hot provincially, you're not doing so hot for the federal leadership, you could still make a mayoral bid. I think the timing kind of all works out there. Um, but you're right, you know, Patrick Brown kind of left the the, the PC party in Ontario in this whirlwind dramatic uh, Me Too moment. And, and you know, uh, when he got, he, he was like kind of running out of Queen's Park in this, one of the most dramatic uh, moments that I've ever experienced as a reporter, you know, at the legislature, uh, a, a late night press conference and, uh, you know, not answering our questions after calling the press conference and having all these images of of running out of the building, like those photos are still coming back. So, you know, Patrick Brown is not without his political baggage, but he's also very progressive. And I think, um, as we've always seen with conservative, federal conservative leadership races, there's always some soul searching to do here. And so I think Patrick Brown is more emphasis on the progressive conservative, like he's, he's more capital P progressive on that side. So we'll see if, how that plays out, especially in Western Canada. Um, I, I think he's kind of sitting pretty as mayor right now, um, but he's got a lot of leverage and um, you mentioned Roman as well. I don't know uh, if if Roman would, you know, have much of a leg to stand on around that time. Like uh, our pandemic restrictions are lifting. Roman's taking an anti-lockdown stance. Um, and I don't know if uh, the, the public, is, there's really going to be much interest in, in that when there's virtually no restrictions in place. It, it, like, like what are the issues that Roman can kind of, you know, push and hammer home and, and attract people to his camp. But uh, it's kind of anybody's game now. And I'm like pulling out the popcorn. Like I, I love a federal conservative race. There's, those are, those are always fiery and, and interesting. And there's always these perennial rumors that Doug Ford wants to, wants to jump in there. Um, he says he's busy with the province. He's going to be leading the Tories obviously in, in June provincially, but uh, if it doesn't work out so well for the premier, I think he could also make a, a federal bid too. And uh, I'm here for it. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if if some conservatives, I mean, seriously, though, like some conservatives who maybe, you know, lose their seat um, or aren't doing so hot provincially if they want to jump into the federal arena. I mean, I've uh, I, I'm curious about Rod Phillips, uh, maybe some other big names uh, in Ontario, because obviously Ontario uh you know, we've got a lot of seats. We've got a lot of conservatives here. Aaron O'Toole, the previous leader, was from Ontario. So I think um, this this timeline for the federal conservative race gives us a lot of room for, you know, other people besides Pierre Polyev, like to to come out. And I'm here for it. <laughs>
Yeah, no, it'll be uh, once the Ontario election is over, they will still have plenty to talk about. So uh, that's uh, always fun for people who are watching uh, politics. So, um, so I guess, uh, you know, we'll, we'll chat again in a, in a, maybe in a few weeks or in the next month or two uh, about the election as we get closer and closer to it. Um, I know this will be a really interesting one uh, because of all of what we just talked about, you know, Doug Ford trying to get reelected, Andrew Horvath, what happens to her, the liberals, can they make a comeback from, you know, their near death experience? So Sabrina, really appreciate appreciate you coming on and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. Thanks again to Sabrina Nanji of Queen's Park Observer, and you can check out her newsletter at qpobserver.com. In other news, the Conservative Party of Canada has announced the rules for its leadership race, finally. The next leader will be named on September 10th, with candidates having until April 19th to put their names forward. They'll also have until June 3rd to sign up new members. The fee for entry will be $200,000 plus another $100,000 deposit that is returned to the campaign after it's over pending good behavior. That's the same fee as in 2020, which was the highest fee for entry into a leadership race in Canadian history. Of course, you can expect full coverage of this leadership race here on the podcast and on the writ.ca, so I hope you'll consider a subscription if you aren't already a subscriber. Okay, that'll be it for the RIT podcast. As always, if you like this podcast, please share it widely and give it a rating or review. You can also check out my YouTube channel by searching Eric Grenier and the RIT. There you can watch these discussions. I put the videos up and I'll also have some new content up on the channel in the coming weeks. Okay, that's it for this week. Keep safe, have a good weekend, and thanks for listening.